If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, there has been scheduled for you a personal meeting with Jesus. What will that meeting be like? As we began this study last Sunday, we discovered that each of us will be personally judged by Jesus. He will evaluate our lives on the basis of the works that we have done, whether he sees them as good or as bad. And as the scriptures make very clear, this judgment will not be to decide whether or not we go to heaven, but whether or not we are rewarded for the way that we lived our lives. Always remember that your destination at the end of your life is determined by what you do with Jesus while you're alive. And I want to take time to just emphasize that because often when we begin to talk about rewards and we look at some of the specific scriptures, there begins to enter some confusion. You think, well, wait a minute. Now that sounds like you've got to work your way into heaven. Tried to make it really clear last week that we cannot, nobody can work their way into heaven. The only thing we can do is to receive Jesus as our Savior. Perhaps there's someone here this morning that is still thinking that their good works will get them into heaven. Now, if you want to fashion your own God and you want to design your own religion, well, then maybe in your universe you can work your way into heaven. There are millions of people throughout the earth who have followed religions begun by people who said you could earn your way to heaven. Islam, Buddhism, Mormonism, Zoroasterism, the Watchtower Society, Taoism, Hinduism, Judaism, Dianetics, New Age, all of these religions and many others have one thing in common. They teach that you can gain eternal happiness by the good works that you do in this life. The Bible stands alone in this respect. It is the only religion that teaches that heaven cannot be earned. There's only one way to get to heaven according to the Bible, and that's by the gracious gift of God. And that's a stumbling block for a lot of people. They say, well, wait a minute. It's just a gift? How can that be? But here's what the scripture says in this familiar passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, that no one should boast. It's the gift of God. Only the Bible teaches that eternal life is attained by what God has done for us, not by what we do for God. So if this morning you're still laboring under the false assumption that you can earn your way into heaven by being good, going to church, etc., let me encourage you to stop trying. Stop trying to earn your way to heaven. It's a fruitless endeavor. No amount of good works can compensate for the sin that you've committed. But you say, I haven't really been that bad. I'm not as bad as a lot of people I know. I've never stolen, cheaten, cheaten, cheated, or, or taken a life from anyone. But no matter how good a life you've lived, you cannot make it to heaven by your own efforts. No one can be good enough to make it to heaven because in order to make it to heaven, you have to be perfect. Check yourselves. <laughs> Judge yourselves, as Jeff was sharing with us. How many are perfect? None of us are. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans chapter 3, 23. 
all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means if you were aiming at a target, every one of us missed the bullseye. James chapter 4, should you think that you're doing okay? James chapter 4 verse 17 says, To the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Do you know of something right that you should do and you haven't done it? You've sinned. So have I. You think, well, I've kept most of the law, you know, but I've failed maybe in just a few spots. Here's what it says in James chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. <clears throat> I'm not making this stuff up. It's right there in the Bible. And finally, and, and, uh, finally, I'm just getting started, and I said finally. Wages of sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23, that's how you get into heaven. It's a free gift. We simply need to receive it. J. Vernon McGee, whom many of you have perhaps grown to appreciate listening, on, <clears throat> listening to on the radio, is with the Lord already, but he continues to minister on through taped broadcasts on many radio stations throughout the world. He grew up in Santa Monica, California, and he tells of a time when he was a young man, and he and his friends would go out to the pier at the ocean. They had a little game they called Jumping to Catalina Island. One of the boys would run off the pier and he would jump as far as he could to try to reach Catalina Island. The next boy would take off running and try as hard as he could to jump to Santa Catalina Island. When they got back up on the pier, one would boast to another, hey, I went farther than you did. Now he may have been right, but none of them ever came close to Catalina Island because no human being could ever jump to Catalina Island because it's over 20 miles. Trying to earn our way into heaven is just like trying to jump to Catalina Island. You may be able to live a much better life than many other people, but your good life will not get you close to heaven. As we saw last week, such a person who strives to live a good life may find at the great white throne judgment that he is sentenced to a more tolerable punishment in hell, but that's of little comfort, I think. Only believing in Jesus Christ will get his name written in the book of life. And only those names who are written in the book of life will be exempt from the great white throne judgment. Now I know that there are some who hear me will say, who will respond, I just can't buy all this. I can't imagine that God would keep somebody out of heaven, a person who is genuinely trying to do their best. Well then let, remi let me remind you that you are fashioning your own God after your own imagination. And when the end of your life comes, you will face reality, not your imaginations. And here's, so if you persist in, in striving to get to heaven by your own good works, you have rejected the free gift of eternal life that God offers to you through faith in Jesus Christ. And here's what the Bible says about you in John chapter 3. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not know the, obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Trying to get to heaven on your own efforts is like trying to accomplish a solo climb of Mount Everest without experience, training, or equipment. You won't make it. You may be sincere and highly motivated, but if you try to climb Mount Everest, as I've described, you will die trying. 
As we proceed on the subjects of rewards in heaven, the subject of rewards in heaven, I want to be clearly understood on this point. Getting to heaven is not a reward, it's a gift. How you experience heaven is a reward for how you live on earth. And we'll take some time to, to develop that. Getting to heaven is a gift. How you experience heaven is a reward. This morning I want us to consider what the Bible has to say about crowns in heaven. I'm starting here because I, for many people they know nothing more about rewards in heaven than what they've seen or read or heard that the Bible has to say about crowns. Here's what many people believe will happen at the Bema. Remember, I, uh, this is a Greek word I want you to learn. It's Bema, okay? And it means the judgment seat of Christ, all right? That's not too long. You can learn that. So um, <clears throat> here's what a lot of people think they're going to experience when they get to the Bema. That, uh, that they're going to come up one at a time before Jesus, and Jesus is going to, going to evaluate them, and he's going to give certain crowns to people. And they might get one or two, or, or there's, there's up to five that are listed in Scripture. So you can imagine somebody kind of walking away from, from the judgment seat with a handful of crowns, maybe one on their head and the other four in their arms. And then somehow or another, they're going to walk over to Jesus, and they're going to cast their crowns at Jesus' feet. And then they're going to walk away. Because the Bible says something in Revelation about 24 elders casting crowns before Jesus' feet. And I'm not trying to make fun because that's, that's, there is an important picture that's, that is, is uh, given there in that, uh, in that uh, revelation. But I think a lot of people feel like, that, well, the reason that they cast crowns at Jesus' feet is because they don't feel deserving of them and because God really wants everybody to be equal in heaven. So if some people are walking around with crowns and other people don't have crowns, I mean, people don't have crowns, you feel bad, right? And how can you feel bad in heaven? Now, we won't take this morning to, time this morning to consider the feelings of those who don't earn crowns in heaven. We'll leave that for a later time. But we are going to discover what crowns God is going to give in heaven and how you and I can earn them and whether it is worth it for us to strive to get them. So, who wants a crown? Who wants a crown? <laughs> okay, I see a few hands, okay? Let's see if when I'm through there might be a few more hands, Okay. The first one that we're going to look at that the Bible says is called the crown of righteousness, okay? It's called the crown of righteousness, and here's what it says. You can jot these things down if you'd like. I didn't give you pre-made notes. You're going to have to scratch on your own paper. In the future, there is laid up for me, Paul says, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who, has lo who have loved his appearing. Here's the apostle Paul at the end of his life, just prior to this verse, he says, I fought the fight, I finished the course, and, and uh, in the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And my pastor <clears throat> in Hawaii used to say, when he was talking about this passage of Scripture, he used to say, you know, that the, the Apostle Paul was so carried away and so excited about looking forward to seeing Jesus in heaven that he says, and henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of, of righteousness in heaven, uh, Oh, and not just for me, but for everyone else who has loved his appearing. <laughs> so, what are the re who, who receives a crown of righteousness? The recipients are those who have longed for and cherished the hope of Christ's return. Those who have longed for and cherished the hope of Christ's return. 
So the question is, are you eagerly longing for the return of Christ? Now, I know sometimes we want Christ to return today because we're experiencing problems, right? You know, when, we, when, uh, when things go poorly for us, to say, Jesus, today would be a good day for you to come back. Just take me home. I just don't want to be here any longer. Just take me home. But that's not exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. The, the desire to be with Jesus is that you have grown to love him so much that you're tired of this world. That the, the attractiveness of being with Jesus is far more attractive than anything else here on earth. And that's what he's talking about. That you are growing to know Jesus as your Savior. You're spending time with him. You're walking with him. You're talking with him. You say, Jesus, I just kind of like to go right on up into heaven. The Apostle Paul wrestles with this in Philippians chapter 1. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, just living is a relationship with Christ. And if I die, that's even better yet because I get to be with him. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor to me. So, but if I keep on living here, then I can continue uh, laboring for Christ and there's fruit that comes from that and that'd be a good thing. I don't know which to choose though. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. You see the kind of, the kind of uh, conflicted emotions that, he, that he's feeling. And that's the kind of thing that describes a person who is longing for Christ's return. I want to be with where I want to be with Christ is, but I, I know I need to be here because I can continue to serve people and help them and encourage them along the way as well. So the person who is going to receive the crown of righteousness is going to be approaching that kind of an attitude. A few days after Barbie and I were engaged to be married, I flew to Ghana, West Africa, for a summer of missionary service. During those three months, I can confidently say that she was longing for my return. She looked forward to every letter I sent. There were no phone calls or emails back in those days. And as I took pictures of my activities and the sights I was seeing, I was, sending, I was taking rolls of pictures and then I sent them off and they were developed and then sent to her and my parents. And uh, I got these messages back saying, uh, I don't want to see sights of Africa, I want to see sights of you. <laughs> Why aren't you taking pictures of yourself? I'm going, well, I'm always around, you know, I want to take pictures of Africa. But I did. I took some pictures of myself and sent them. And... Uh, she was longing for, for and looking forward to my return. And I think that's the kind of attitude that we're talking about here, looking forward to the return of Jesus. All who have this cherished hope and longing for Jesus' return will be awarded the crown of righteousness. So that's pretty concrete. You can evaluate yourself and say, how much do I really long for Jesus to return? How much do I just want to be with him? The second one that's mentioned, or that we'll mention, is the crown of life. It's found in James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And then also, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, 
and I will give you the crown of life. Now, <laughs> now those who are the recipients of this crown are those who have endured the trials of being identified with Jesus Christ. And I can't imagine that there would be a stampede to get in line for this one. You know, hey, how many of you would like to suffer for Jesus? Let's get, it, let's get after it. Um, those are the kind of things that just happen um, as we pursue our love relationship with Jesus Christ. Nobody sets out to suffer. Well, some have, and they're called ascetics, and, and really there's no point in doing that, the Scripture teaches, to just beat your body in order to gain a, a reward is not, what, is not what the Apostle Paul has in mind here. But it's simply out of your love relationship for God and out of boldly speaking for Him and living for Him, you're going to come in conflict with people. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Because, it, you know, I'm not of the world and, and if you follow me, you're not of the world. Um, so there is a reward, though. If we, if we suffer with Christ, you can look forward to a reward. If, if as, as you stand up for Christ, and it may happen in your family, more difficult, maybe more difficult in your family than it is anywhere else. You know, some of you perhaps have family members who hate you because you're Christian. Not because you're not a nice person to be with, just because they hate the light. The Bible says, that's why, that's why Cain killed Abel, because darkness hates the light. And there'll be certain people that just hate you because, because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Perhaps there's a person like that or two that you work with who just despises you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. There's a crown of life that God is preparing to give to those of you who endure the trials of being identified with Christ. It, this is not... This is not a reward for this is not a reward for not getting upset when you get a flat tire or for being impatient when the toast burns or for enduring the nagging of your children. This is for those who suffer because they are doing what's right. For those who are persecuted because they love Jesus. Some of life's sufferings come just because we live in a fallen world. Others come because we're seeking to please our savior. And that's the difference. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now maybe as I'm reading these scriptures to you, you're thinking, man, I didn't realize there was that many scriptures that talk about rewards in heaven. But there are. God wants us to live this life to get ready for heaven because when you think about it in, in terms of proportion, the length of time that we live here on this earth is infinitesimally small compared to the length of time that we're going to live in, in, with Christ in heaven for eternity. So anything we can do in the short time, this brief vapor of a life that we have here on earth to prepare for eternity makes sense. Unless, of course, we're fools. Because, you know, fools are the people who just look at what's immediately right in front of them. Wise people are those who look further out into the distance. All who patiently endure the trials of being a disciple of Jesus Christ will be awarded the crown of life. The third one is kind of a limited crown. It's called the crown of glory. And here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And this is spoken specifically to church leadership. Church leadership has its own special trials 
uh, and challenges. And the recipients of this crown are those elders in the church who shepherd the flock willingly, eagerly, and humbly. And uh, those who serve in church leadership because they feel like they have to, or because they can make an easy living doing it, or because they can exercise power over people, these ones will not be awarded this crown. But those elders who, seek to, who serve because they want to, because they enjoy the challenge, and because they want to speak and show people how to follow Christ, these ones will receive the crown of glory. And that's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, the first five verses. So if you are in church leadership or aspire to church leadership, as a matter of fact, in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says if anyone aspires to the office of elder, it's a good thing he desires to do. There are certain requirements that are necessary, but there are certain rewards, the crown of glory that's offered. The fourth one out of five that we're going to look at this morning is the crown of, a crown of joy, it's called. Here's what it says in Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Again, in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? The recipients of this crown are those who give of their resources to evangelize and edify others. Those who take their money, their time, their talents, the, uh, everything that they have, those who take those things and use them specifically to communicate the good news about Jesus Christ or to build up people who already have believed in Jesus Christ. And that can be every one of us. You don't have to be specially qualified to do that. If you talk about Jesus, talk about your relationship with Him, talk about what He's done for you, if you take the gifts that God has given you and serve others, if you take the money that God has given you and use it to influence people toward the kingdom of God, there's a crown of joy that God offers to you. Those who make it their ambition to share the good news about Jesus Christ with their neighbors will receive a crown of joy. Additionally, those who invest their lives in helping other Christians to understand and practice the truth of God's word will also receive a crown of joy. In fact, these texts tell us that seeing these people in heaven and seeing how our efforts have helped them to get ready for heaven, this will be our source of joy. Every person into whose lives we invest ourselves when we see them in heaven, will be a source of eternal joy for us. Let's think about that for a minute. When I invest my life in somebody else, when I take what, I have, what God has given me and I invest it in somebody else by serving them in some way or another, and it helps them to know Christ better and to walk with Him more closely, to, to, to be encouraged in their walk with Christ, when I see them in heaven, they will be a source of eternal joy for me. <laughs> we can lay up a great source, a great resource of joy for ourselves in this way by simply giving of ourselves to other people to encourage them in their walk with Christ, to encourage them toward faith in Jesus Christ. When we, the effort that we put forward to do that will bring fruit in people's lives. This is exciting stuff. Your joy in heaven will be increased by a factor of those whose lives you have influenced to know and walk with Jesus Christ. 
Do you want to enjoy heaven more? Then invest your life more in the lives of others. Now I know that for some of you when, I hear you, when you hear me say, do you want to enjoy heaven more? You're thinking, Pastor Gary, this is heaven. Who's not going to enjoy heaven? I don't get what you're saying. How can you enjoy heaven more or less? I'm not making this stuff up. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says some plant and some water, but God is the one who changes people's lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, He who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So I don't have to, I don't have to be Billy Graham to get the crown of joy, a crown of joy. I simply need to be Gary Rodmacher and do what, take what God has given me and give it away to other people to help influence them toward faith in Jesus Christ and walking more closely with Him. You don't have to be a preacher to do this. You can be, you can be, uh, do whatever you want to do. You just, whatever God has given you a gift to do, you use that to help encourage people in their walk with Christ. I know that and I don't want to get into all about, you know, spiritual gifts and all that sort of thing, but there's just, there's a concept, I think, that there's, there's certain things you can do to influence people, but, but I'm telling you, just a smile. I remember, I remember a gal in our church years ago up, in, up north that um, she was talking about a, a neighbor who was sick, and she just felt moved by God to make a pie and take him a pie. Now, does that sound real spiritual to you? It was showing love to a neighbor. We're not talking about being a preacher. We're talking about taking what God has given you, whatever is in your hands, whatever he's placed there, and using it to encourage and build up other people, to love your neighbor. You and I cannot love our neighbor with the love of Jesus Christ and not have eternal rewards as a result. I love this song, and I'm going to read you the words. I wish I could sing it to you. By Ray Bolts. I dreamed I went to heaven, and you were there with me. We walked upon the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing. Then someone called your name. You turned and saw this young man, and he was smiling as he came. And he said, friend, you may not know me now. And then he said, but wait. Used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. Then another man stood before you and said, Remember the time a missionary came to your church? And his pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. One by one they came, far as the eye could see, each life somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on earth, in heaven, now proclaimed. 
And I know up in heaven you're not supposed to cry, but I'm almost sure there were tears in your eyes. As Jesus took your hand and you stood before the Lord, he said, my child, look around you. Great is your reward. How much are you storing up for eternity? Will you receive a crown of joy? Finally, the fifth and imperishable crown. In an athletic setting, the Apostle Paul speaks of this crown. He says, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable crown. Therefore I run in such a way not as without aim, I box in such a way not as beating the air, but I buffet, it, buffet my body. It doesn't say I buffet my body, by the way. <laughs> and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. And what he's saying is, I don't want to lose the prize. That's what it means to be disqualified. He's not talking about losing his salvation. He's talking about losing the prize. And here, who, here are the recipients of this imperishable crown. Those who continue strong to the end will receive an eternal reward. Now, I'm not sure that whether or not the Apostle Paul is here speaking about a specific reward, but more generally of all the rewards that we will receive from God. None of the awards given by Jesus will be for those who are just a flash in the pan. Yeah, remember that time, God, when I did that good thing way back then? Don't I get something for that? Life is not a sprint, but an endurance race. Finishing strong will assure an eternal reward. And I know all of those passages in Scripture that you've read that say, we're going to receive this if we continue strong to the end, if we're faithful to the end. And you, and you, and you scratch your head and you say, well, wait a minute, that sounds like if I'm not faithful to the end, I might lose my salvation. It's not what he's talking about. Remember, salvation is dependent upon what you do with Jesus Christ. It's not on your works. Finishing strong to the end will determine whether or not you get a reward. See, here's what it says in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who set the example for us, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's the example. Jesus continued strong all the way to the end. And you and I may stumble and fall, but we need to get up and keep on going. We don't have to be perfect, but we need to just keep on going if we'd like to receive an imperishable crown. For those who endure to the end, God is here promising that their reward will be eternal. That's what it's saying. What, that, what, what else does an imperishable crown mean if it doesn't mean an eternal reward? It will not fade like the glory of the laurel wreath or the acclaim of the cheering crowd. It will be yours to enjoy forever. You see, the winners of the games Paul is referring to here were cheered by the throng and graced with a laurel wreath. 
But even Olympic gold medals and Super Bowl rings can get tarnished or lost. And when you die, you leave them. And sure, the admiration of the crowd, surely the admiration of the crowd will fade with the passing of time or with your next loss. But what God promises to give you will be yours to enjoy forever. Speaking of Super Bowl, <laughs> um, it's a kind of a tradition here at Turning Point that uh, we come here on Super Bowl Sunday and watch the game together. So, um, if if the uh, if the Seattle Seahawks win one more game, then we'll be watching the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. Um, but uh, so just. It's, a, it's something you can invite friends to. There are people perhaps who would never come to church on Sunday morning, but they might come to a church building and watch a Seahawks, or a Super Bowl game. <laughs> Slip of the tongue. <laughs> a Super Bowl game. Uh, and it's just a fun time to be together. If you don't like the game, we sit in the back and set up tables and play games, you know, whatever you'd like to do. But it's a great time to fellowship with one another. So, and to invite, and yeah, and there's food. Yes. <laughs> and you can invite friends. Now let's come back to reality. God is offering to you prizes, awards, treasures, rewards that will increase your joy in heaven forever. If the Seahawks win two more games, many of us will share the joy of their victory. But none of us here will experience the depth of joy that those who worked so hard for so many two years to achieve a Super Bowl victory will have experienced. Similarly, we will all share in the joy of those who are rewarded in heaven. But only those who have worked hard in this life to please God and to receive His commendation will know the deep and abiding joy of those who gave so much. If you've ever worked hard to accomplish a goal or complete a task, you know what I'm talking about. We've all enjoyed the attractiveness of the work that Cliff and Linda did to fix up the church bathrooms. Thank you. You were gone the Sunday after they were finished. and We didn't get to say thank you, so thank you very much. But I'm confident that their joy is deeper having given of themselves to accomplish the work. Cliff and I have talked about working on projects and he's described to me the feeling you have when you've completed the task, you get a cup of coffee in your hand and stand back and look at it. What do you call that, Cliff? That's the best part. Yeah. I don't even like coffee. <clears throat> but you know what I'm talking about? The deep joy that you experience? Other people can come in. We've been building a house and, uh, and I've laid some tile floors along with my sons and we've worked at it together and, and some people will come in and say wow that's really pretty and so they enjoy it somewhat but I stand there and just look at it and think wow that is so cool you know what it's like if you've completed a job there's a deep joy that you experience that is better 
than if you didn't do it yourself. If you've worked hard to get something, if it, whether it's in school where you've worked really hard to get a good grade and you do it, or, you, or you've worked hard to, to win a game, or you've worked hard to prepare a meal, or whatever it is you've done, when you get done with that, there's a great sense of satisfaction because you have worked hard to accomplish it. So this is how it works in heaven. If you are awarded something in heaven, my joy is increased because I rejoice with you at your joy. But your joy is deeper because you worked hard to accomplish it. See how that works? So it's, there's not this uh, sense of envy or feeling bad because we rejoice together at the good things that we see that have been accomplished and awarded to one another. Just like we rejoice in the winning of a game by our team even though we didn't play the game. But I'm trying to help us understand that there's a deeper joy that is experienced by those who have done the work. And if you would like, if you've experienced that in this life, if you've done something, you've worked hard, and you know what that feels like, and I'm sure you've all done that in one way or another, and you think, this is really good. This is really cool. I really enjoy this feeling. This is what God means when he says, increasing your joy in heaven. Great is your joy in heaven. And that you would be able to experience that. And then here's the capper. Not only to experience it, but to experience forever. So the, 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 the time and the effort and the sacrifice that we make in this life to 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 please God is rewarded by deeper joy that lasts forever. This is the kind, a picture of the kind of eternal joy God wants to give you when you stand before Jesus at the Bema. Now I know that it sometimes seems very difficult to keep on being faithful, to say no to temptation, to be, obedi to be obedient to God and loving to others. But God, God's word assures us that it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says, Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. I've tried to compare it to something here on earth. And maybe you get a brief picture, a small picture of what it's like. But this is far beyond all comparison what God is offering to us. As I said last week, would God offer you something if you knew truly what it was that you'd say, yeah, I don't care if I get it. I don't think so. I think if we knew truly and understood fully what it was that God was offering us, we would say, I want that. I want that. And whatever it costs us, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving us a glimpse into the future, for giving us a hope about life after death, for giving us a purpose for living. And Lord, <clears throat> some might say that this sounds a little selfish, that I'm just thinking about myself in, in the future, and I'm just thinking about what I can experience. And yet I know, Lord, that your word clearly teaches us that you are most glorified when we're most satisfied. That it's your desire to, to 
to pour out your joy upon us. That you are most glorified when we are experiencing the joy that you desire to give us. And so, Lord, we want to boldly pursue the rewards that you have for us, not in any selfish way, but because we want you to receive greater glory. When life gets tough, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to keep pressing on. I pray that you'd help us to be an encouragement with each other. I know your word says that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as some are, uh, like, uh, are apt to do, but we should encourage each other. And all the more as we see the day, the day that we stand before Jesus coming near. So much of what you've said in your word, Lord, talks about that meeting, talks about what's the eternal implications of how we live today and tomorrow. Help us to draw near to you and to pursue the things that you desire us to pursue, to become the people you desire us to become. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.